Our New Testament reading is from the 8th chapter of Acts. You know, the book of Acts starts with the story of Pentecost and then proceeds to tell how the gospel spread through Jerusalem and from there to many parts of the world. The first part of chapter 8 tells how a young preacher named Philip had great success in the city of Samaria. Well, after that, you would think that he would be called to a great big church in some big city. In football, he'd be called to a, he'd be a top draft pick. In baseball, they'd call him up to the show. You would expect that he would be promoted, but that's not what happened. Well, let's listen for God's word for us today as Luke tells the story in the 8th chapter of Acts, starting at the 26th verse. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up, go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chair. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to the chair and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so that he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked, Philip, about whom, may I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's, here's some water. But it's to prevent me from being baptized. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Ethiopian eunuch had three questions to ask Philip, the disciple who had climbed in his chariot around noon one hot day on a desert road. His first question was in response to the question from Philip. Remember Philip had asked him 
You understand what you're reading? Philip knew that this fellow was reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah because the man was reading out loud. In those days, it was the practice to read out loud. It's believed that reading silently didn't really come along to be common until the days of St. Augustine. Uh, and it's thought that maybe Augustine had him not read out loud because it was disturbing the other monks, you know, in the monastery. So who is this Ethiopian eunuch? We know that he was a government official in charge of the treasury for the Candace, that is, the queen of Ethiopia. He'd been in Jerusalem to worship. Now he's on his way back home, not on foot like most people travel, but in a chariot or a wagon. There were some people who converted to Judaism, but Jewish law prohibited this man because he was a eunuch. And sometimes the Bible refers to certain Gentiles as God-fearing. That is, people who worship Yahweh, but who had not been circumcised, had not become Jews. We know that the Ethiopian eunuch was, we know he was well-to-do. He had the time and the money to travel, and a chariot to travel in, and we know that he, not to mention that he had a book. That he was literate. He had a scroll of the book of Isaiah. But Philip was not sure he understood what he was reading. Well, a lot of people have that problem with uh, certain chapters in Isaiah, understanding what they're reading. This well-to-do, literate treasury official was a man who could see that he needed someone to help him understand the prophet Isaiah. And he was ready to listen to Philip. We know what the Ethiopian eunuch was reading. The passage was like a sheep. He was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before a lamb before its shearer. He does not open his mouth. His life is taken away from the earth. Well, you and I have heard the gospel story. We've read the New Testament. We know who died for us. But the Ethiopian eunuch, is well-to-do, educated official in the court of the queen did not know. So he asked his second question. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Now we don't really know exactly what Philip said. In writing Acts, Luke didn't tell us that part. But we do know that Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And his explanation was so thorough, so convincing, so persuasive, so winning, that when they happened on a pond in the wilderness, that's when the Ethiopian eunuch asked his third question. What's to prevent me from getting baptized? And that's when Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So out there in the wilderness, Philip baptized the very first Gentile to become a Christian since the resurrection. So what do you think? Are we, are you and I, we like the Ethiopian eunuch? Do we need an interpreter, a little guide to help us know what we're reading in the Bible? At least a Sunday school teacher, right? <laughs> Much of the Bible is not self-interpreted. Well, we can't interpret it for ourselves, but in the Word, there's a scholar named Shirley Guthrie, but he's a guy. 
who uh, said doing that runs the risk of letting us find the Bible in the Bible only what we take with us to it, that we will use it to confirm what we already think. And we'll only hear what we want to hear. There's a lot of that going on in there. The problem is that our biases, our preconceptions, can keep us from facing the radical claims of the living God in every area of our lives, here and now. Like the Ethiopian unit, we need a guide. Now, Professor Guthrie suggests some guidelines. First, Scripture is to be interpreted in light of its own purpose. That is, the Bible is not a science book. Never claimed to be a science book. It's not a history book. It's a book that tells us about the ultimate origin, meaning, and goal of human life. Second, Scripture interprets Scripture. That is, listen to the total witness of Scripture, not just a selected passages to support what we already think and, and want to hear. For example, it's so tempting for parents to tell children, honor your parents, you know, and forget the Bible also says, fathers, do not provoke your children to rape. <laughs> and Colossians adds, do not provoke their children or they may lose heart. So when someone hits you on the head with a Bible verse or you're tempted to do that yourself, ask yourself, what else does the Bible say on this subject? Third, use the Jesus test. Jesus is our very best revelation of who God is and who God wants us to be in our life. Well, consider how Scripture should be interpreted in light of what Jesus did and what Jesus commanded us to do. His fourth guideline is the rule of faith. One of our confessions says in our denomination's book of confessions, which is half our constitution, listening with respect to with respect to fellow believers, past and present, we anticipate that the Holy Spirit will enable us to interpret faithfully God's Word for our time and place. Part of what we understand the Holy Spirit to do is to guide us to understand what we read in the Bible. Fifth is the rule of love. All right interpretations reflect the love of God, the love of God's people for all kinds of people, everywhere, everyone included, and no one excluded. We're not told to hate anyone. We're told to love everyone. Six, Guthrie's last guide, guideline reminds us that the Bible was written. It wasn't written in English or any other modern language. It was written in Hebrew or Greek or some Aramaic. Now unless we learn those ancient languages, we have to rely on translations. One of the helpful guides for me is a study Bible. A Bible that has cross-references and notes to help the reader understand the context and unusual words. I must have six different study Bibles with different translations and annotations. I mentioned before, a uh, Presbyterian preacher who taught at the Methodist College, Tom Long, he's written that the biblical word is never merely about, oh, back then, back in those days. It's always a word to us, to this moment, to these circumstances, here and now. 
One of the several study Bibles I consult one Mr. Bruce gave me years ago. It's the Common English Bible, or the CEB. In that book, they suggest several attitudes for reading and studying Scripture. First, read prayerfully. Pray for illumination. That is, pray for the Holy Spirit to enlighten you, to help you understand God's Word. Second, read and study expectantly. Be prepared to be surprised, astonished, blessed. Third, read and study persistently. Like most things that are worth doing, Bible study takes work. You have to stick to it. Dylan didn't learn to be a great French horn player or guitar player by just fiddling with it once in a while. It was years and years of practice. Betty didn't learn to play piano and organ by just sitting down and fiddling. She had to practice and work at it. And, and both these musicians will tell you they still do. Practice and work hard at it. Any discipline does. Fourth read, confidently. Don't get intimidated. Trust God to guide you. If you think about it, Ethiopian eunuch was just about as other as a guy could be. He was not a Jew. He was not eligible to come one. He was of different color. And he was from another country. Well, maybe even another continent. Back then they called anything way down south Ethiopia too. Not exactly necessarily the same country we think of. But as we sometimes say, He's not from around here. <laughs> but with the assistance of an interpreter, he was moved by God's word to affirm Jesus Christ as his Savior. He was accepted by a preacher who saw no barrier to baptizing him and accepting him as a brother in Christ. You see, the world is full of people like that Ethiopian eunuch, people who need someone to teach them, someone who's been embraced by God, who can read the cold print on the page in the warm light of God's abundant grace. And you remember he said, what's to keep me from getting baptized? So let me ask you, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, what's to keep you from doing that today? If you've not yet joined the church in this group of believers, What's to keep you from doing that today? If there's something on your heart that you need to share, what's to keep you from doing that now? Thanks be to God.